It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can win the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRag Sports, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers, and you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. We had a ton of content at Acme Packing Company blog the SB Nation Packers blog over the course of the last week. We're going to have a ton this week breaking down the new general manager, the defensive coordinator search, and the new offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. All of those things we're going to get into in this show, but we have to start with the new general manager for the Green Bay Packers, Brian Gutekinst. And that was announced on Sunday. We thought it could come as early as Monday. The announcement came Sunday. And this came as a bit of a shock to Packer fans that were paying attention because it had been reported essentially all week that Russ Ball was the favorite to replace Ted Thompson, who was going to transition to a more personnel-centric role in the front office. And this had far-reaching consequences. The first was the most obvious was if Russ Ball gets the job, that incentivizes Gutekinds and or Elliot Wolf to leave because, as we discussed on this show, once the incentive of being the next general manager of the Green Bay Packers is taken away, they don't have a reason to the same degree to stay with the organization. They could have turned down opportunities to advance in the hopes that they become the general manager of the Green Bay Packers. I think particularly in the case of Elliot Wolf, given the lineage of this organization with his family, that is particularly likely. Now, what also came out over the course of the week, at least as was reported by Bob McGinn, was the hiring of Ball was so dissatisfying to McCarthy that he would consider trying to make an exit from Green Bay. That is how much distaste he had for that hire. Now, I wrote a piece for Acme Packing Company that made the case that the Packers scouting structure was actually the ideal scenario for having a non-scouting background GM because of the system that they have in place. That's not what happened. Tom Silverstein also reported McCarthy did not want Russ Ball, Rob Domofsky at ESPN reported that McCarthy's preference and the preference of many of those in the front office was John Schneider. And the problem with that was the Packers had requested to speak to Schneider. The Seahawks said no. There was a scenario in which the Packers go to the NFL and say, we think that our position that we would offer John Schneider is not a lateral move. It would offer him more power and is a better job than the one he has in Seattle. 
not by um, quality, but in a specific quantitative way, more power over the the roster specifically, having final say over the 53-man roster, which Schneider doesn't have. But that would have that would have meant the Packers had to go to the commissioner, go through some sort of process that that would be essentially unprecedented to say we need to be able to have this interview by right because the NFL bylaws allow teams to block interviews of their personnel from teams that are looking to hire them for the same position. If they are looking to make a lateral move, a team can say, we don't want you to interview that person. And in fact, the Packers got shut out of hiring a defensive coordinator because of this. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. But so this is this was an interesting dilemma for the Packers because if they really wanted John Schneider, they could have fought for a, a, some sort of adjudication of the rules or at least some sort of precedent setting by the NFL to say, yes, a job where you have full control over the roster, maybe you are um, given, maybe the Packers were going to make him the, the right-hand man to Mark Murphy, and then his purview is much bigger than that of uh, the general manager in Seattle. The general manager does not have the same meaning in every organization. Some people are hired to be the vice president of football operations, and, and that carries more weight than, than the general manager. Or there's all these different ways that you can set up the structure of your front office. And so without getting bogged down into any of that, because it didn't have to happen, the Packers had this, this dilemma. I, I wrote about this as well for, for SB Nation, and that was if they elevate Russ Ball, even assuming he's a good GM, and everyone assumed that all three of these candidates, Gutekinst, Wolf, and Ball, were, were excellent candidates. If you elevate Ball, you have no assurance that you can keep both Gutekinst and Wolf because they're both, by this same rule that we just talked about with Schneider, able to interview for GM jobs. In fact, it was Brian Gutekinst interviewing in Houston for their vacant GM job that ultimately forced the Packers' hand. Elliot Wolf had been up for these other openings. Gutekinst was on the list of a number of teams this offseason, so these are both highly desirable front office candidates. We have no way of knowing if they're good. But I think part of the calculation here was to say, if we hire Ball, we're essentially assuring in the next year or two, Wolf and Gutekinst are out. As of this moment, the Packers' plan is to elevate Gutekinst, likely promote Russ Ball to keep him in-house, to continue to handle the cap and the contracts, with the understanding that that Wolf is probably going to seek employment elsewhere, whether this year or next year or whatever it is. But by elevating Gutekinst and not Ball, they've locked in one of their top evaluators, one of their top personnel people, and frankly, one of the top personnel people in the league. Now, the difference between a front office and a coach or a player is it's much harder for us to evaluate the quality of that person and in their role because we don't know how much Gutekinst or Wolf or Alonzo Highsmith when he was still with the organization, how much input they had with Ted Thompson. We could see Russ Ball. This was the, this was the ironic part about Packer fans freaking out that Russ Ball was the bad choice. 
the only person in that front office, other than Ted Thompson, who we knew was really, really, really good at his job, was Ball because we'd seen the contracts that he'd handed out and the way that this team had managed the salary cap over the last 10 years. And so we knew he was good at his job. We don't know if Brian Gutekunst is going to be good at his. Now, Ryan Wood reported Sunday that that a source told him he expected he would be more aggressive in free agency, which is, again, not an inherent good, but I think will make Packer fans happy because that was obviously one of the big knocks on Ted Thompson that he did not engage in free agency to a, a satisfying degree. And I think that's that, that's just a fair criticism of Thompson in general. I've, I've made it on this show. I've made it in print. I've made it on social media. There were ways, both small and large, that Ted Thompson could have improved this team. He chose not to, though I think the draft and develop philosophy is going to very much remain in this front office, especially with Thompson still around. And Thompson can continue to be an asset to this team. In a, in a piece that I wrote at the end of last week, I talked with Andrew Brandt, who was in Russ Ball's position before Russ, and was there when Ron Wolf made the transition from GM to consultant through the draft. And Brand said, look, Ron was was an invaluable resource because he was still he would still come to practice. He would still watch film. He'd still help the team in important ways. Thompson can still do that. Now, we don't know what the front office is going to look like with the structure there. We don't know how much input Thompson is going to have. But you have to believe that the structure that's in place, the system that consistently churns out the best evaluators in football, multiple outstanding GMs coming from this tree, the Ron Wolf tree, Thompson, Dorsey, McKenzie, Schneider, that these guys are all coming from a system that's created and set in place by Ron Wolf. Ron Wolf hired Brian Gudekinst. So if you're talking about handpicking a successor, no, Gudekinst was not hired as a successor. In 1998, he was a scouting assistant. The Packers hired him as a college scout. Eventually, he became the the director of player personnel, worked his way up through the ranks, proved himself as a scout and a talent a talent evaluator. The director of player personnel tends to be, it's either the director of player personnel or the director of college scouting. One of those two guys is almost always the one who gets promoted, almost always the one who gets the other GM jobs. So Gudekinst is going to be the man in Green Bay. And it it stops the doomsday scenario, which was even if Russ Ball is a very good GM, losing your top two lieutenants in the personnel side creates a, a an untenable situation because Ball didn't have a personnel background. And I wrote about why that, that could potentially work in Green Bay because of the, the infrastructure in place, but it's still not ideal. Even if you lose top lieutenants, if you're Ted Thompson and you lose John Dorsey, you lose John Schneider, you lose Reggie McKenzie, the team can still fall back on his evaluation prowess. And so the Packers get that, we think, in this situation. I don't know if transitioning away from Ted Thompson is a good idea. It is certainly a gamble because we know Ted Thompson is a very good talent evaluator. And the Packers, this is a very important draft. They have their highest pick since 2008. And so 
this is this is a very important offseason for Green Bay. They have to get these hires right. And and I think you can make the case that that the reason you make this move now if you're Mark Murphy is you're saying we think we're going to lose Gutekinst and Wolf in the next 2 years if we don't promote one of them. And so what we have to do is we have to put a plan in place that maybe allows Ted to stay on and continue his work in the scouting department while giving someone else the reins. And that is what they have done. They have set themselves up for the future. They were going to lose one of these two guys anyway. So they've, they've decided that that guy is going to be Wolf. You have to feel for him because it was his dad that that built the Packers back into the team that, that has done nothing but win since Ron Wolf showed up and, and even since he left. This is tough for Elliot Wolf. But the Packers felt like Brian Gutekinds was the best man for the job. I think it's a good hire. And I think it sets them up well moving forward, especially if they're able to keep that draft infrastructure in place, that system that continues to churn out quality talent evaluators. That doesn't mean that, th- that this is just it and it's over and it's a great hire. There's a lot that still needs to happen. They've got to go through the draft process. They've got to go through free agency. They still have to make a decision on Morgan Burnett. That's the only big free agent left that they have to make a decision on. And they've got a top 15 pick. And so they need to use that effectively. Luckily, you have to believe Ted Thompson's voice is still going to be strong in that room. But but we don't know. And so this creates turmoil where there wasn't otherwise turmoil. One thing I want to note before we move on. In the 12 years that Ted Thompson was in charge in Green Bay, it was the tightest ship in the league that, that wasn't New England. It was watertight. There were no leaks. We never knew at any given time what anyone was thinking. No one's thought process came out or, or it very, very rarely happened. So over the course of the last week, where there is just story after story after story with unnamed sources, anonymous quotes, and rumors, and innuendo, and gossip, and it seemed like the Packers went from one of the most stable organizations in sports to the high school for mean girls. Ultimately, what we found is the same as what has always been true, and that is the decision-making thought process of the people making decisions likely was not made public before a decision was made. Now, that doesn't mean that Russ Ball was not the favorite when that was reported. What it means was we didn't know before it came out that this was a done deal that Gudikins was the guy. And so, again, this, this is a reminder that when you have years' worth of data, to compare that to a week's worth of data, should have suggested, and, and my colleague at APC, Ben Foldy, was, was right to point this out last week. Let's take all this reporting with a grain of salt. Because there never used to be this much sourcing. There never used to be this much anonymous um, uh, quotes and, and, and discussion and pissing matches behind the scenes. That was not part of the Green Bay culture until there was a power vacuum. And now that that's been filled, hopefully you hope things, hopefully things return 
to normal. Before I move on, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. Put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes, and you'll be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. That's a $39.99 value, and it gets you access to player grades, snap counts, position ranks, fantasy projections, rankings, tools, charts, NFL draft coverage, Pro Football Focus profiles, stats, things that are uniquely behind their paywall that you wouldn't have access unless you're going to pay for it. And I can give it to you for free if you put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes. I'm trying to up your knowledge game. Let me help you. The reopening is right around the corner, and there's a chance that no one has seen your balls in months. Don't ruin your first post-quarantine date with a ball fro. Would you show up on the first day of school without a haircut? Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Do you really want the next person to see your down there hair to think you weren't expecting anyone to see it? No one wants that. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced while preparing yourself for post quarantine life. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, water resistant, cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, the perfect one two punch to keep your one two punch fresh all day long. Subscribers to the Peak Hygiene Plan get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean so you can too. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, so treat yourself for making it through quarantine with the Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code locked on at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code locked on. Matt Williamson brings the scouts perspective to the Locked On NFL podcast. You got to talk 2018 quarterbacks. Josh Allen has the best quarterback record aside from Lamar Jackson, but the lowest completion percentage other than Josh Rosen. He's just been a complete garbage for the most part when he's been allowed to play. Yeah, let's throw a couple nuggets out on Allen. And I know he's a lot bigger a lot stronger, but he kind of reminds me of early career RG3. What's kind of remarkable about Allen is he is so gifted, and he got better, I thought, this past year, which is encouraging with the anticipatory throws and the touch of his throws, but his deep ball passing is like the worst in the league. Hear Matt with co-host Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL. Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts. Somewhat buried in all of the drama surrounding the general manager's search and eventual hire is that the Packers brought back Joe Philbin as offensive coordinator. And this is concerning for some Packer fans, and, and I understand that. I myself would have preferred a young creative, up-and-coming mind that would challenge McCarthy's status quo and perhaps push this, this offense forward. At the same time, Joe Philbin left Green Bay because this offense had been so good, the Miami Dolphins hired him knowing he didn't even call the plays to come be their head coach. 
And obviously that did not go well. The Richie Incognito story marred what I think could have otherwise been a, a situation that would have worked. Look, the Dolphins have been a mess since Joe Philbin left. They were a mess before he got there. I don't think you can blame anything on Philbin directly. What I do want to point out, though, is Joe Philbin became the Packers offensive coordinator in 2007. 2007 was the year Mike McCarthy resurrected Brett Favre's career. The Packers went 13-3. and Favre had his best season in some statistical categories of his career. Certainly the best since one of his MVP seasons. And the Packers were an overtime throwaway from going to the Super Bowl and being the team, by the way. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like if if Favre, in his farewell tour to Green Bay, had gone to the Super Bowl to play the undefeated New England Patriots with Tom Brady? Can you imagine what the ratings would have been? So that's Joe Philbin's first year. His second year is Aaron Rodgers' first season. And Rodgers looks great. It is the defense that consistently lets this team down. They lose a bunch of close games because the defense can't get a stop late. 2009, Rodgers gives us our first Rodgers season. Where you start to say, okay, this guy is super legit. He has the best quarterback debut in playoff history. And the only reason the Packers lose to the Cardinals is because the defense gives up a boatload of points. They scored 45 in the desert. 2010, the Packers win the Super Bowl. 2011, Rodgers has arguably the greatest season in modern quarterback history. He wins the league MVP. And the next year, the Miami Dolphins hire him as head coach. The Packers were much more multiple under Joe Philbin. They were more creative. They were more explosive. If you look at Aaron Rodgers' numbers the last three years, yards per attempt in particular, they've gone down. This offense can't generate big plays. And part of that is the personnel. Part of that is the fact that they're just, they don't have the guys to get down the field the way that they used to. This this version of Jordy Nelson is not 2011 Jordy Nelson when he was the best big play threat in the league. Now, that doesn't mean that Joe Philbin is going to come in and fix this offense. But I think if you're going to take a guy who isn't a young, up-and-coming coach and put him in this position. Philbin has the gravitas and the bona fides to go to McCarthy and say, we need to make a change. To say, I don't think this is the right way to do this. And he has that sort of authority. McCarthy would trust him to say, you know what, Joe, I think you're right. And we need to make this change. We need to do things differently. And McCarthy essentially admitted that that is true when he fired almost his entire staff. Now, Ben McAdoo, there were some rumors that, that he could come back, not as an OC. Obviously, Alex Van Pelt being fired, we talked about last week. He wasn't, in fact, fired. He was let go. The contract was up, and the Packers and and Van Pelt apparently mutually agreed that, that he was going to pursue other opportunities. Apparently, he went to McCarthy and said, I'd like to, to pursue other opportunities. At least that's the way the Packers framed it. Whether or not that's really what happened, of course, we don't know. Now, I think Philbin coming back 
he knows a lot of the players involved here. Obviously, he knows Rodgers, Nelson, Cobb. He knows a lot of the offensive linemen. And so he's going to be able to come in and bring some some fresh eyes because he's been gone long enough that this offense has evolved, but some familiarity with the key players. And I think that is a best-of-both-worlds scenario. Josh McDaniels left the New England Patriots to be the head coach in Denver. That did not go well. But no one complained when he went back to New England. No one said, oh, he's a retread coach because he was young. Joe Philbin left Miami and, and became the offensive line coach in Indianapolis. Well, he was also the assistant head coach. He had Chuck Pagano's ear. He remains a very respected coach. And frankly, his, his head coaching resume is not terrible. He went 24 and 28 in his time with the Dolphins. Hugh Jackson would love that record. I mean, he's won football games. And, and so to act like this is, you know, I think Ben McAdoo, this would have been a much more concerning hire if the Packers would have gone that route. I don't, I don't know that Ben McAdoo can show his face in an NFL locker room anytime soon. Not the way things in, in New York ended. So I think this is, this is a very encouraging signing. I, I think more than, than most Packer fans would like to admit. I was a little down on it at first, mostly because I would have preferred some of the other candidates. In fact, I would have preferred if McCarthy had hired someone to come in and, and run the offense. I would, I would much prefer McCarthy be the guy who's making fourth down decisions that I'd like him to be more aggressive on. I would much rather him be the one who's who, much like Andy Reid, with Matt Nagy in the second half of the season is saying, okay, on third down, let's talk about the play call, or I think we should run this, but I'm going to turn over the reins to someone. What Andy Reid did, and Kevin Clark wrote about it for The Ringer, and I highly recommend that, that you go check out that article. Andy Reid adjusted his offense on the fly, and he adjusted it to be more creative, to be more progressive, to be more innovative. He borrowed more from college concepts, and this offense changed in Kansas City, irrecognizably. I mean, they push the ball down the field. They are they are multiple. They are unique in the way that they they utilize and deploy their personnel. And they have unique personnel. Tyreek Hill, the fastest man in the NFL. Travis Kelsey, if not the most unstoppable tight end in the sport, the second most. They draft Kareem Hunt. They've got a, a, a solid offensive line. So they can do different kinds of things. Well, the Packers have the best quarterback in the league. They have a talented stable of running backs. They have an excellent offensive line. And at the very least, they have a very good top pass-catching target in Devontae Adams. And they have a receiver who has ESP with the quarterback. There's no reason why this shouldn't be a top-five offense next year. And if they're not, then we know the problems run deeper. The Packers may not be fighting for playoff positioning anymore, but the Milwaukee Bucks are. They just got a huge win over the Washington Wizards in D.C. Giannis had 32 points, and the Bucks they're going to be in the thick of it coming down the stretch. They're going to be on your television screens, and they're going to be fighting for the playoffs. They're probably going to be in the playoffs moving forward. Stay up to date on everything that's happening in Milwaukee with Giannis, with Eric Bledsoe, with Chris Middleton, Thonmaker, Malcolm Brogdon, all those guys by staying locked on Bucks the same way you stay locked on Packers. One last story I want to get to before we get out of here. There, there's been so much discussion about 
where the Packers go with their defensive coordinator. And there was a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth when it looked like the internal candidates were not only going to get a fair shake, but they were going to be the front runners. Alex Marvez from the Sporting News reported that Darren Perry was the front runner. We don't know if any of that is true yet. At this point, there have been no official announcements or even reports that anyone is is close to a deal. Now, I mentioned when it happened that Vic Fangio was the name that I would keep an eye on. And one of the reasons I thought that was just a little tea leaf reading. It was the only name that was given when Ian Rappaport first reported the story that the Packers were moving on from Dom Capers. And I I think that matters. I don't think Rappaport puts that out there for no reason. The Packers followed through. They're going to interview. And they've yet to make a call. They interviewed all the internal candidates last week. And they waited. They could not interview Fangio. There's a rule in the league that you can't interview a coach under contract until a week after the last game that he's played. So it won't be until midnight Monday that the Packers will be able to actually have a conversation with Fangio. And the fact that they've waited and are, are going to talk to him suggests that maybe he's not the front runner, but at least he is very seriously in consideration here. And the Packers requested an interview with Terrell Austin, the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. And the Lions said no. And the reason they said no was it meant the Packers would have to wait. They would have to wait until the same time frame with Fangio to have an interview. Well, what has happened in the meantime is the Bengals, as of this recording, were at the very least reportedly negotiating with Austin to become their new defensive coordinator. The Lions blocking the Packers interviewing with Austin essentially assured that Austin would not be in the division. And so the Lions were taking the stance that, at the very least, if he's not going to be our coach, he's not going to be in our division. He is not going to be our division rivals coach. Terrell Austin would have been a magnificent defensive coach in Green Bay. He's a 4-3 guy. Would have been very happy to see the Packers make that switch. That said, Bob McGinn also reported over the weekend that Vic Fangio would not go to Green Bay without Dom Capers' blessing. We don't know if that blessing has been given, but you would think the Packers would interview Fangio with the understanding, and they certainly wouldn't wait to interview him if they didn't think they could get that blessing from Capers. We don't know at this point. There have been reports out of Chicago that Fangio is interested in leaving. There there were some reports that some of the candidates for head coach in Chicago would be interested in bringing back Fangio, which makes sense. He is one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. And so obviously they would be interested in keeping him. Now, the Packers, I think it's going to come down to either one of the internal candidates, probably Darren Perry and Fangio. And I think assuming that that there isn't some strange wrinkle here, my money would be on Fangio. I don't think if you're Mike McCarthy, you can fire your whole staff, bring back an old offensive coordinator, promote your defensive coordinator from within your defensive staff ranks and expect that your team is going to is going to say okay we're good to go now. I think McCarthy has enough self-awareness to understand that's just untenable. So bringing an outside voice to run the same personnel, at least he's a Fangio's a 3-4 coach and I've I've gotten into some arguments with some people on Twitter about how much that matters. It still matters, okay? Just because you're not in base personnel very much. You're not in 
an alignment with three defensive linemen and four linebackers does not mean that the traits are the same. They're not. You look for different players for different kinds of schemes. If you're, if you're a man coverage team, you have to look for man corners. If you're a zone coverage team, you look for zone corners. And the great, the great advantage that a team like the Seattle Seahawks has is they can stay in base and defend the pass because of their scheme and because of their personnel. The Denver Broncos can stay in their base and defend because of their personnel and because of their scheme. The Los Angeles Rams can do the same. One of the reasons, they have a safety playing linebacker. So these distinctions do matter. By the time you're listening to this, there, there may be some headway. There may be some reporting being done. There will be no moves being made because moves cannot have been made. The Packers will have to wait to get this interview done. And so we're going to see what happens. I think the money right now is on Fangio being the next defensive coordinator. And and look, I think if, if the Packers br- bringing back Philbin keeping Ted Thompson, but securing the future of your front office here and bringing in Vic Fangio while also signing team-friendly deals with Devontae Adams and Corey Lindsley going into free agency sets this team up really well. I I would give their offseason, if all of those things happen, I would give this offseason an A-. I think with all of the with all of the the leaks and all the stuff that's happening and, and the unknown risk of moving on from Thompson, it's hard to go full A. But I think A minus if they bring in Fanjo because of what I think of him and, and I think Philbin can reinvigorate this offense with the with some familiarity. I think the more I think about it, the, the more I like the move for the Packers. We're gonna have plenty more to talk about this week. We're only gonna have three shows. We're gonna go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday just for scheduling reasons. That's better for me this week. Um, I'm going to be on vacation after that, but I will still be available if there's breaking news. I'm going to bring my microphone with me on vacation so I can I can hop on and record a show if that is something that needs to happen. I have my fingers crossed that they will name a defensive coordinator by Wednesday and that I won't have to worry about it. But we will have three shows this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll be back next week. And we're going to be talking, hopefully we'll be able to talk about actual football. We'll be able to talk about the playoffs. We'll be able to look forward to free agency, look forward to the combine, look forward to the senior bowl and and those kinds of things as, as the Packers look to build for next year. That is a lot more to come this off season. Stay with us every day. Remember, this is a daily podcast, not every, every day, but, but multiple times a week. So stay with us and stay locked on Packers. for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now? Check out the daily Locked On Podcast Network for your favorite MLB team. Find it right now in your favorite podcast app and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.